Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. On the way to church this morning, it was funny, Craig mentioned that they had a discussion about how dark it was outside. We also had a little bit of a discussion about how dark it was, and I said it's really ironic that it's so dark outside. My sermon title is God is Light, but maybe it's perfect that it's so dark outside, and we can talk about how God is light. You know, growing up, I uh, I wasn't much of a reader. I you know, unless the book had pictures in it and was talking about airplanes and and dinosaurs and outer space and that sort of thing, I didn't really care. It wasn't until I was I think a junior in high school and I read the book Ender's Game that I realized that reading could be fun. And so for for a lot of my time growing up in school, I didn't enjoy the reading assignments that were given to me. And so, to my shame, I relied heavily on what's called spark notes, which you may have may be familiar with something else called cliff notes. Um, basically, spark notes or cliff notes are uh, these book summaries that you can get. You can buy in paper form or you can go online and read these. And basically, the, the, these people go through all these books, usually the books that you read in school, and they give you book summaries and chapter summaries that tell you basically what the book is about. And so, for a lot of high school... I relied on these spark notes for my reading assignments. And uh, I was a bit of a procrastinator, so a lot of times the morning of a reading assignment being due, like if my teacher said, you know, by Thursday you need to have chapters 4 and 5 of Jane Eyre read, Thursday morning I was looking up the spark notes of chapters 4 and 5 of Jane Eyre so that I could, you know, contribute to the discussion or maybe hopefully pass the quiz, make it look like I had read that. And uh, for... for, uh, for any of you who are students right now, I do not recommend this. This is a, a bad practice, and I really wish that I had actually read uh, the books that I was assigned in class. But the uh, Spark Notes generally did a pretty good job summarizing the book. They would tell you, you know, the most important things, the things that you needed to know. I wonder if you were told to write the Spark Notes version of the Gospel of John. If you were told to write a summary about what the Gospel of John is all about, what would you write? The Gospel of John is the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, we read of incredible things. We read of Jesus performing miracles. We read some of his sermons and and, and the intense personal interactions that he has with people. We read about the prayer that he gave to the Father just before his crucifixion. And we read about him hanging on the cross and his resurrection. There's a lot of meaning in the Gospel of John. So how would we summarize it? Well, the Apostle John himself, whenever he was very old, he looked back on his life and the time that he had spent with Jesus so many years ago. And you know, he had memories of what it was actually like to be with Jesus. To be in the presence of Jesus. John knew what Jesus looked like. He could have told you how long or short his beard was. He could have told you what his voice sounded like. He could have even told you what it felt like to embrace Jesus. With that kind of intimate knowledge, the Apostle John, along with the other apostles, John would have been an ideal person to tell us what all of this is all about. He would be the ideal person to give us a summary. And this, this idea of him being 
the ideal person is, uh, in, along with the other apostles, is kind of what he's getting at at the very opening of his first letter that we know as First John. He writes the very, very opening of First John. He says, "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life." He's talking about Jesus. He says, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. With this kind of intimate knowledge, this kind of knowledge that you can only get by actually being in the presence of Jesus, John is the ideal candidate to give us a summary of the story of Jesus. And while there may be many ways that you can summarize the story of Jesus, John gives us his summary in verse 5, where he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is John's summary of the gospel. All of those miracles, all of the signs, everything from Jesus' birth to his death and to his resurrection all point to one fact, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But what does that mean? That God is light. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty poetic kind of thing to say. That God is light. It's abstract. What can we gather from this? And there are probably many shades of meaning, and maybe even infinite shades of meaning that we can get from what John is trying to say when he says that God is light. There are probably many different things that we could talk about that he's getting at. But one thing that I think we can see uh, pretty easily is that God is good. That God is goodness itself. Because John doesn't say that God has light in him. He doesn't say that God shines a light, though those are all true. He says God is light. And so God is goodness itself, and that there is nothing in him that is evil. That's why John goes on in the next verse to say that if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And John's point here is that there are moral implications to the fact that God is light. Because God is good, we cannot continue in evil if we wish to have fellowship with him. And this idea, uh, we see it in, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verse 19. And Jesus says here, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So part of what John is getting at whenever he says that God is light is that when Jesus walked this earth, his, very, his every act in every word demonstrated God's goodness. When Jesus cleansed the temple to get rid of those who were taking advantage of the poor, all in God's name, he demonstrated that God is good. When Jesus broke with the Jewish custom and spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, he showed that God is good. When Jesus 
overlooked the legalistic interpretations of the law and chose to heal on the Sabbath, he showed that above everything else, God is good. Everything that Jesus did was good and showed truly in a world of darkness, in a world that can be symbolized a lot by what we're seeing around us this morning. Even amidst the darkness, God is light. So this is the message that the apostles heard when they actually were in the presence of Jesus and they proclaim it to us this morning that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And if God is light and goodness itself, then anything good that you see in the men and women around you or that you hear in a story or you see in a movie whenever or wherever you see something deeply admirable in human beings, God possesses that good quality in infinitely greater measure. There is nothing wonderful about your family, the, the people who are closest to you, who you love and you see them, who are so wonderful and you love them because they are so good. All of that that you see in them, God is like that but infinitely better. He is like that to a much greater extent. God as the God of all comfort and consolation will give comfort to his children better than the most tender and loving mother ever could. God, as the God of kindness and mercy, is more forgiving than the ones in your life who have forgiven you of your worst sins. God, as the God of justice, will right all wrongs and restore those who are lost better than the most fair and unbiased judge in our country. Whatever we see in the people around us that we see as wonderful and good, God is like that, but far greater. Whatever we admire in these people, whatever we admire in our, our brothers and our sisters and our spouses and our friends and our parents, whatever we admire there, we see goodness. And in these people, we see light. And it's a small manifestation of God that we see. And we admire it because it gives us just a taste of what God is like. You know, when we start to talk about God, it can be difficult. Because you're talking about an infinite being. You're talking about somebody who, who in many ways is totally different than us. But we can look to the people around us and see just a little bit what God is like. So... Make it a habit of yours. Whenever you see someone do something good, something that you really admire, something that makes you, you know, warm inside and that you appreciate seeing goodness, remember that God is like that and even better. And thank God for the opportunity to see a little bit of Him in the person doing the good thing. And then let it fill you with joy to know that the one who holds your soul in his hand is working to fill you and surround you with that goodness and light. And the goodness of God is infinite. You could not think of a God who is better than the God that we serve. If you were to sit down and imagine what God should be like, if you were to make a wish list and say, you know, I, I, I wish that God were like this and this and this, if you were just to you know, take a clean sheet of paper and say, ideally, this is what God would be like. God is even better than that. 
you could not imagine a God as good as he really is. And that doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to be exactly like you want him to be. There may be some ways that that God is that we may not appreciate right away. But it's not because God is lacking in those ways. It's because he is far better than you could even imagine. He is better than the greatest God that we could think up in our minds. Now, when John summarized the gospel, he did it in two parts. The positive part, he said, God is light. But then he expressed that on the negative side. He said, in him is no darkness at all. That is, whatever is the opposite of light, God is not that. Darkness has no part in God. He has never and will never participate in anything that could be described as darkness. And this is what the ministry of Jesus revealed to John and the other apostles, that God cannot do evil. Now, when we hear somebody say that God cannot do something, you know, that might kind of raise our eyebrows. You know, we wonder, like, God is, you know, all-powerful. How could we say that he cannot do something? Can't God do anything? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that what it means for God to be God, that he can do anything? And this is a, it's sort of a, a trick question. And, and the answer is, no, God cannot do evil. And let me explain why that is. God cannot do evil because he is infinitely good. He is light. He is goodness itself. So asking whether God can do something that is evil is a illogical absurdity. It's a contradiction in terms. The question itself doesn't make sense. It's like asking, can water dry itself off? Well, of course water cannot dry itself off. I mean, when we talk about something being dry, what we mean is that it is absent of all water. So if water were to dry itself off, it would no longer be water. So no, water can't dry. The question doesn't make sense. And it's the same thing whenever we talk about God. We ask the question, can God do evil? Well, no, it doesn't make sense because evil itself is the absence of good. And if God is goodness itself, then asking if God can do evil is like asking, can God be empty of himself? Can God be absent of God? No, that's impossible. It doesn't make sense. God cannot do evil because in him, as John says, is no darkness at all. That's why we read in several places that God cannot lie. Numbers 23:19 says God is not man that he should lie. Titus 1 and 2 says talks about God who never lies. In Hebrew, Hebrews 6 and 18 says it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie and to do anything that is evil. Not that God isn't powerful enough to lie. It's not that he is weak or that he's just not quite able to do that thing. It's that, God, it's that God can only do things that are consistent with his good nature. And if God ever did anything that was evil, we could no longer say that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We have to say God is, he's got lots of light in him. Or we'd say there's hardly any darkness at all in God. That's not the message that John says they received from Jesus. 
When Jesus came to this earth as the perfect revelation of God, what they heard from him was that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The life of Jesus showed that God is light, full stop. And in him is no darkness, full stop. So, God is constrained by his own nature. There are boundaries within which he stays, and we should be glad that it is that way. We should be glad that God is bound by his own good nature to always do good. Because if God were not bound by his own nature, we would not be able to trust him. A God who were, was unpredictable would not be trustworthy. How could we know that he intends to keep his promises? How could we know that he still intends to save us? How could we know that he works all things together for good for us? While we might, be, we might not be able to predict exactly what God is going to do and exactly say this is how he's going to work or this is how he, he's doing this sort of thing, we may not be able to say that sort of thing with any sort of precision. We can have confidence that every action he takes is an act of pure goodness. All that he does is light. It is never darkness. So that we can trust, even when we don't know how God will work in our lives and in the world, we know that whatever he does will be good. Let me tell you why that matters to me. There are, there are two reasons I think of uh, for why this matters to me, that God truly is light and in him is no darkness at all, and that he cannot do evil. For one, I'm the kind of person who asks lots of questions. I'm the kind of person who wants lots of answers. I want to know why things in the world are as they are. I want to know why my life is the way that it is. I want to know what the future holds for me. And sadly, I have way more questions than I have answers. And sometimes, frankly, that's overwhelming to me. That makes me anxious because I want answers. I don't like things being unresolved. I don't like knowing that I don't understand things and that I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. And I can't tell you what my life is going to be like in 10 years. I don't like that. I wish I could have all of those answers. And when I feel overwhelmed by my ignorance and uncertainty, I can lean on this truth that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Even if I don't have the answers to why life is how it is, and I don't have the answers to what the future holds, I know that God is working for me and for this world in ways that are 100% good. I know that I can trust him because he'll never stab me in the back. I know that I can trust him and that when I ask for bread, he will never give me a stone. Because God sees me and is all-powerful and is all-good, I know that if I truly needed these answers to all the questions I have, if I truly needed the answers, I would have them. If God sees me, if he knows me, if he is all-powerful and if he is all-good, then if I truly needed the things that I think I need, I would have them. I can trust God in that. 
And I can trust him amidst all of my uncertainty. And whenever I feel like there's darkness around me, I can trust that God is good. And God is light. Secondly, it matters to me that God is good and that he cannot do evil. Because then I know that whatever God calls me to do in my life will always be for my good and for the good of everyone around me. God will never ask me to do something that will ultimately be harmful for me. He is good, which means that when there is something that I know God wants me to do, but I really don't want to do it, I can trust that it will be good for me to do it. If I know that I need to give something up, that I have created an idol in my life, and I really don't want to get rid of that idol because I know that to get rid of that idol would be painful, that I've lived with that thing for so long that it's become a part of me. And for me to rip it off of myself would be painful. It would be hurtful. And when I know that, and I know that God is calling me to get rid of that thing, I can trust that the pain I experience in doing that is not a pain that is ultimately rooted in bad or evil or anything other than goodness. And I can know whatever pain that I experience in following God and obeying God is a good pain. It is never a bad pain that you experience when following God and obeying His commandments because He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The Apostle John got to witness this goodness face to face. The idea of God being good is not just an abstract concept. The idea of goodness is not just an ideal, it's a person. What the Apostle John got to witness is the person of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John was able to tell us that God is light because Jesus came as the light of the world. That through Jesus Christ, the world would receive the perfect revelation of God. Think about that. In Jesus, we see the perfect revelation of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. We can sit here all day and describe what God is like. And we can use fancy terms and, and talk about, you know, God is like this and God is not like this. But all of our descriptions of God will ultimately fall short. Not because that they're wrong. Not because when we talk about God, we are just missing it altogether. But God is so much bigger and better than our minds can even imagine. So when we describe him, all of our descriptions will fall short. Short. It's like trying to draw a three-dimensional object on a two-dimensional piece of paper. It's not that my drawing is wrong, it's just that it doesn't do it justice. So when we talk about God, when we say that He is like this and He is not like this, ultimately, we will fall short in our descriptions. And if you want to know what God is like, look at the person of Jesus Christ. That is how we know what God is like. When Jesus wept with Mary and Martha over the death of Lazarus, 
He was showing us what God is like. Rather than just listing out attributes, he showed us by actually weeping at the tomb of Lazarus and showing us that God is good. When he washed his disciples' feet, rather than just telling us that God cares about us so much that he was willing to humiliate himself, he showed it and showed us that God is good. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he showed us one thing, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And now we can finally learn to live life as it is supposed to be lived by trusting in the one who will always be good. Jesus says here, whoever follows me, Jesus came into the world as a light. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want to know how this life is meant to be lived? It's meant to be lived following the one who is the light of the world. There is life in following Jesus Christ, whose every action shows us that God is good. Jesus shows us that God is better than we ever could imagine. So take heart. Take heart. You may be walking through darkness, but know that the one who holds your hand is light itself. And as John wrote in the prologue to his gospel, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So put your trust in him who is light and he will lead you through the darkness. If anybody has a need of the church, let's you come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com